I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Sunday, July 18th, 2021, and this is episode 129 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing, I got a new computer. If you're on the video, things might look a little differently because I also have a new webcam. And uh, the other this week's best thing is that I went climbing outside yesterday uh, for the first time in two years. I haven't gone outside to climb, to do rock climbing uh, since I sprained my wrists two years ago. And so we were down in Carter Rock, which is on the Maryland side of the Potomac River. It's one of the closest places to climb outside where I live. And um, it's where the classes go. So if you take a class in this area, it's either at Carter Rock or Great Falls, which is the Virginia side of the Potomac River. And um, so it was like a ladies climbing clinic. And it was wonderful. We had four or five hours of good climbing, even though it was hellishly hot and humid, because it's DC. But around one o'clock, the thunder rolled in and someone saw lightning. So we got to I was actually on the wall at the time. I was I was at the at the um not even very far into this climb that I was just struggling with because my feet were hurting really badly. Um, I had taken a weird, not a fall, but a swing. So it's top rope climbing. The anchors are above you. You have a rope tied to your harness. And my rope had gotten caught on like a piece of rock jutting out, as it does. As I was trying to uncatch myself, the piece of rock it was caught on snapped off making me swing, my face like crashed into the wall. My glasses like went askew. Fortunately, they didn't fall down. I had these, I, I climb with little clips on the back of my glasses so they don't fall off my face, especially when I get sweaty. But when I face plant into the wall, it, it just they just were knocked off. And my toes, which were like, I was balancing on my toes as you do. And when I swung, they just kind of dragged across the, across the wall and then they were hurting a lot. So I only did a couple of climbs after that and my feet were in too much pain to really do much. And then it started thundering and pretty quickly it was raining. So we were done, but I was basically done anyway. Still, it was wonderful. A lot of fun. It was great. Climbing outside is completely different to climbing inside. And I don't do it often. Um, also, we saw two skinks. <laughs> I didn't. I wasn't up close and personal with them. And those are like lizards. So there was a big one and a, and a baby one. Someone mentioned there was a hornet's nest on another climb, and I was like, "Oh, we're not doing. We're not going over there." Um, so there's a reason why I mostly climb inside. I'm not an outdoorsy person. I don't like bugs and wildlife. I don't like uh, vegetation that might harm you. <laughs> there was like, "Oh, and poison ivy. Make sure you stay away." And I'm like, I don't remember what poison ivy looks like. Like the last time someone told me what poison ivy looks like, I was in Girl Scouts. I was like nine years old. So I'm staying away from everything green. <laughs> this is my basic philosophy. However, I still had a wonderful time. In computer news, I have a new MacBook Pro. So for the past forever, basically, I don't know, 10, 15 years, I've always had a desktop and a laptop. The computer I'm replacing was an iMac. And then before that, like in 2013, because it was a 2013 iMac, I had, a you know, one of the big Mac desktops. Um because I was editing a lot of video and I needed a really powerful machine back then. And then when I got the iMac, I was like, well, I'm not, you know, really doing super high powered stuff. So that should be fine. But I always had a laptop for travel and for writing uh, in various places. And so now I'm at the point where the only video I really edit is the podcast. I've done it on a laptop before. If I get a fairly powerful laptop, that should be fine. 
And I didn't want to have to keep two computers in sync anymore, which wasn't terribly hard. I mean, everything I do is on Dropbox. For the most part, all my client stuff is on Dropbox. I have time machines so I can back up. I can install all of my applications on the laptop. But it's still like a difference. So if I have to go out of town and still do work, there were just annoyances. And I was thinking about going to a co-working space um, a couple days a month that opened up near me. And so I was like, well, I'll have to sync my laptop to my desktop and make sure that my client files. And it's not even the files, it's um, like the virtual server. And I'm not going to get into the technical details, but it's a pain in the butt. So I was like, next computer I get, I'm just going to have one and we'll work it out from there. Of course, when you buy a laptop as your desktop, you have to, I had to buy a monitor. I thought I could use the iMac for the monitor for a while, but it turns out it was too old. I had to get a docking station. Um, a new webcam, which I wanted to get anyway, because I had it, a, a physical webcam, even with my iMac that I didn't ever, I never used. It was awful. So yeah, I had to buy a bunch of stuff, a bunch of accessories. Um, everything is here except for my docking station. So I can't actually use the monitor yet, but the monitor came in and I'm really just pleased to have a new toy, a new, a new machine, um, to play with. And it's faster than my 2013 <laughs> iMac. And those things kind of, you know, it's just nice. It's setting them up is also a pain, but it's relatively simple. I just restored it from Time Machine. There's a lot of new little things I have to figure out how to use on the laptop, but change is good. Writing update. I officially finished the draft of Savage City. I had finished the first draft, but then I had to so polish it and go back through and thread things in. And now I'm done. I think I finished that on Tuesday or maybe Wednesday. And then I, I exported it out of Scrivener into a Word doc. It is sitting on the hard drive waiting for me to print it out. I took the rest of the week off from Savage City. And I was like, I'll just take the rest of the week off and then print it out over the weekend and start my read through on Monday. So that is the plan now. Just do one another, do another final read through, another final. <laughs> do a final read through and make sure that it makes sense, that I haven't missed anything big. And then it's going to my editor. It's also going to a few beta readers that I have lined up. And the idea is uh, to get more than one opinion. I really trust my editor, but there are some things that I know that I'm, she's going to say that I'm not going to want to fix. So if I have another person or two other people are like, oh yeah, fix this thing, then I'll be like, okay, I'm fixing it. It just helps to prioritize things, you know, because I know that she's going to be able to really articulate everything that she sees in there. And there's going to be stuff I agree with and stuff I disagree with. And at this stage, because this is self-published and I don't have a hard deadline, um, I, I have the time to have additional beta readers and then move into the the edits at some point in the future. <laughs> so that is the plan with that. I also have made some good progress on the plot for the other story, the 1830 story that I'm working on. I had been stuck for a couple of weeks, or just not stuck. I mean, I've been working on it steadily, but caught up in a bunch of character plots, what can happen things. So I had started at the end of last week to just write the outline. Um, and I've been going back and forth. Like my process is very chaotic when I'm plotting. It's like a little character work, then go back to the plot, then fill out some worksheets, then read, read some craft books or, you know, pieces of craft books, refresh myself on some concepts, character, plot, worksheets, um, worksheets I have, worksheets on one stop for writers, just this round robin style of 
doing things and thinking about it and trying to get my thoughts into some concrete form in a, in the written word. And then going back to the beginning, um, I worked on the Enneagrams, I was looking at the archetypes, I was doing the character arcs. I made a new worksheet for uh, something that's what is in my spreadsheet for the Dramatica plot steps. That's actually super, super helpful. And um, just to lay it out like that. So I think I want to post that worksheet on my website on the uh, for writers section, if anyone is interested. Because at a certain point, it's just like, okay, I think I have a handle on the characters. I have to figure out what actually happens, what of my original synopsis I'm keeping, what new things have to happen. And you're assaulted by all the possibilities. This is always the thing that I run into. Like anything could happen. I mean, not anything. There's there's fixed points in time. There's fixed things that I know that have to happen for this to be the story that it is. But inside of that, you know, I've I've changed the characters and the motivation slightly. So what they do is going to change. And so um those dramatica plot steps, um, the worksheet has eight items on it, eight <laughs> like a list of eight. <laughs> questions. Um, so it's the goal, the consequences, which are kind of, you always have to know. So what happens if the goal isn't reached? And then it's got requirements, what must be accomplished to reach the goal. So that helps me say, okay, if her goal is, you know, to catch the bad guy, let's say. So what are the requirements? Well, she's got to um, talk to people, figure out, you know, she doesn't know who the bad guy is initially, investigate, find sources, figure out who would benefit from this thing that's happened, um, use the magic, you know, all these requirements are the steps that she's going to take that I have to make sure are somehow in the book. Then uh, number four is forewarnings, and that is consequences getting closer. So we know the consequences. If the bad guy is not caught, then people suffer, you know, evil wins. Uh, but the forewarnings are the small things. So it's the individual harm that happens to people that she cares about. Um, you know, you list the forewarnings for the consequences. Number five, the costs. So what happens with her getting, uh, my main character, getting involved in this in the first place? What are the bad things that are going to happen? Well, she's been warned against it by her mentor, um, looking into this issue, and um, there's clashes with people, there's relationships, there's money problems, potentially. Number six is dividends. So that's that balances the costs. They're rewards that wouldn't happen without the attempt to reach the goal. So through this process, she's going to meet friends, um, meet the love interest, um, other goals of hers that were in the back of her mind. She's going to find a way to make those happen. Number seven is prerequisites. So the events that must happen for the requirements, they are the added challenges for the requirements. So in order to catch the bad guy, she has to, you know, investigate, find people who can bring lead her to the bad guy. In order to do that, she has to figure out who to talk to. Um, she's having issues with her magic. She is in conflict with various people. Um, she has to learn various things. So there's the steps along the way to the steps along the way to the end goal. And it's like you do kind of big to small, which I like. And the last thing is preconditions. They are the junior the junior version of forewarnings. They're small plot impediments. So things like does she have a transportation to where she needs to go to talk to the person she needs to talk to to find out about the bad guy? Um, she's avoiding someone. She has to go to her job and she, she can't necessarily always get off work because she's poor. <laughs> um, there's demands from her mentor. Maybe her mother is interfering. So that is the final step. And I'll link to the original article where I got this from and to my worksheet. Um, 
But yeah, so going through this process has just been really, really helpful to figure out um, the possibilities of the things that can happen that are targeted to the plot and to the character and how she would go about solving this issue and finding this bad guy and, you know, winning, having good defeat evil. (laughs) Still using the note cards to jot down all the ideas that I have and putting them in my note card box. And that's where we are right now. So I think this week I can really tie this together because the outline I have, I've gotten to the midpoint and I just, I'm going to need to continue to write out the rest of it, flesh it out, iterate, like go back over it a couple of times, make sure it makes sense. There's side characters that I'm working on. There's a framing story for this that I'm working on. And it sort of just comes into clearer focus the more I work on it. So the longer I sit in the chair, like making sure I work on it every day for at least an hour before I work on Savage City has been really, really helpful. It's been the only thing that's gotten me this far. So you have to, you have to be in the chair in order for the ideas to come and for, for the inspiration to come. I mean, inspiration can come a lot of different places, but I find that, you know, it's a mix between work and rest. So that's why I don't mind taking a day or two off on the weekends to rest my brain because I come back on Monday and I've got all kinds of things. Like I had taken those days off to finish Savage City. And when I came back, I just, I was going like this story, I hadn't even consciously thought of it, but it was, had been, you know, moodling in the back of my mind. And I got so much work done on, I think it was Wednesday when I, when I got back to it, that I felt like I'd made a leap forward in progress. So I do think you have to put in the work. You have to, you know, button chair, hands on keyboard is what they say and do it every day and then know when to rest. And with that combination of work and rest, um, I think that's the formula for inspiration. Also for this story, um, I've been mentioning, you know, needing to work on twists and turns because there's a framing device. I'm doing some research on that. I'm considering listening to the audiobook of The Great Gatsby again, because that's a real, a potential inspiration for the framing device or the narration. It's going to be someone telling a story. And I'm looking at different ways to do that. Also looking at unreliable narrators. So I started listening to the audiobook of Gone Girl, which I never read. And it was at the library. I got it from the library. I I got through the first third. It's extremely long. Like they always tell you, oh, people love long audiobooks. I'm not the person who loves long audiobooks because I read so much faster than I can listen. I'm listening to this at double speed. I listen to everything at least you know, I start off, I start off at 1.5 and I, as I get used to the narrator, I can go faster and faster. I usually can't go much faster than double speed though. Even at double speed, it takes forever to listen to this audiobook. It's like 20 hours or something. So I got to the first third and it's interesting that the writing is really great. It's engaging. Um, a lot of times I feel a little bit wary of like superstar bestsellers like that. You know, like I read Dan Brown and you know, it's not the greatest writing, but I think Gillian Flynn, I was going to say Gillian Welch, actually, what is, what is her name? The writer of Gone Girl, is, she's a really good writer. Like she's craft-wise, um, wordsmith-wise. It's very good. It's very clever. It's very like, you know, I, I enjoy it. It's a little slow for me. So that's why when I got through a third, I was at 33% of the audiobook. I was like, I don't know if I can finish this. I'm not bored per se, but I've got like 16 hours to go. <laughs> And I don't know if that included, at double speed, it would have been eight hours, but still, 
it told it says six feet hours on there. It doesn't account for the speed. Um, and I'm just fatigued. So I'm going to watch the movie. And I had seen the movie before when it came out, but I remembered very little about it. Like I knew Neil Patrick Harris was in there at something. And I remembered points in time. So I knew when I was listening that I'm listening to unreliable narrators. But anyway, so at a third of the way through the audiobook last night, I watched the movie. And then I was like, oh, I think I will finish this book because I could see um, the changes that were made from what I had listened to and how she combined it. Because she wrote the screenplay for the novel, which is like ultimately my goal to to write a book and write the screenplay of my book. And I, I think she did a great job with the screenplay and it's David Fincher. And so the movie, I remember the movie. I liked the movie. I thought it was great. Um, but I wanted to go back to the book. So I'm now over halfway done with the audiobook and I will finish it. I think it is a great example of unreliable narrators. In the audiobook, you know, it's the husband and wife are both narrating from different points in time. And the husband tells you at certain points that he's lying. Or not he's not lying to you. He is lies of omission. He has lied to the police and he has omitted information from his narration to the listener. And that's really interesting. I think it's a cool technique. And then, you know, about halfway, everything flips. Um, if you've never seen or read Gone Girl, watch the movie. Like, it's good. I think the book is good, too, so far. It's just long. <laughs> and it's not, I mean, it's intriguing. Every every chapter ends with, like, a hook, and she does a good job of pulling you through. It's just a lot of detail for me and a lot of, a lot of I don't know how to explain this, like, it's just a lot of book about a lot of things and they're interesting things, but this is not my genre. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. It's an enjoyable book that a lot of people obviously loved and I, I see why. Um, and I do enjoy it. It's just not my thing. Anyway, I'm learning from it. It's research. In other news, my the next few months for me are going to be extremely busy. Um, there's a lot travel. There's a bunch of trips. I was invited to be a keynote speaker at the Hampton Roads Writers Conference in Virginia Beach, Virginia at the end of September. So I will be going to Virginia. Um, we just planned a family trip with my mom and my brother for a couple of weeks from now. I've got online conferences, ReaderCon, then AwesomeCon, which is in real life in DC. Then I'm going to a writer's retreat and I get back, then I'm going to Denver. I'm going to be climbing outside in Denver. I'm, re I'm really just going to climb. My husband is going to do this supercar driving thing, which we did the last time we were in Denver together, where he gets to drive like a Lamborghini or whatever, and his father and brother are coming. And I was like, well, I'll go and I'll just, I'll climb again. Like three years ago, 2018, I uh, was going to a conference. I was going to Sirens, which is in Aspen, no, Vail, something very high up, like 9,500 feet in the air, 95,000. That doesn't sound right. Very, very high up in the mountains. It was this conference. And I, I flew in a day early and I had read about this biscuit place in Denver. And so I got a gigantic biscuit. I got, so I got off the plane. I got a biscuit. I drove to Golden, Colorado, and I went climbing. Uh, I had not adjusted to the, <laughs> to the altitude at all. And it was my first multi-pitch climb. It was the most terrifying experience of my life, but it was also one of the most invigorating and exciting experiences. So in the gym, we climbed to 45 or 50 feet. That's how high the walls are in the gym. At that point, I had only climbed outside two or three times and still maybe 50, 60 feet. 
And the multi-pitch climb was 200 feet. It was 200 foot pitches. It was also not a type of climbing I'd done before. I am a top rope climber. And this was more like lead climbing. I wasn't lead climbing, but um, not to get too far in the weeds. When you're top rope climbing, you get to use all of your hands and you don't have to worry about anything else because the rope is anchored above you and you just climb. When you lead climb, you take the rope with you and you have to clip into the bolts that are someone has already put into the wall. So I had hired this guy and it was just us two because I only had a few hours. And so he was lead climbing and I had to follow him and unclip and take the clips and put it in my belt, which requires having a hand free, you know, which is not something I have to do when I top rope climb. I mean, I need a hand free to get to the next hold, but I don't have to hold myself in position and unclip this thing and finagle it onto my belt, which is what I had to do at 100, 150, 200 feet in the air. It was a different set of skills and it was terrifying. And did I mention I have a fear of heights? which is one of the reasons why I climb so I can get over it. But it's still there. Like, it's better. I'm not debilitated. But to look down and you see this two-lane road and this creek, it was Clear Creek Canyon in in Colorado. And it's very far away. <laughs> very, very far down. And I was, I was doing the slowest climb. It wasn't a hard difficulty, but it was the slowest I've ever done anything because I'm just like, ah, ah, like completely terrified. Like literally, one of the two top terrifying experiences I've ever, I've ever had. But I'm going to go and try to do it again. And the thing was, I didn't know what I was getting myself into then. Like I, was, I thought it would just be like the other outside climbs that I had. It would be a known quantity. And he was like, oh, why don't we do a multi-pitch? And I was like, okay. And I, I thought I knew what that meant and I had no idea what that meant. And so not knowing what I was getting myself into, I just had no choice but to move forward. I wasn't going to back down. I wasn't going to like... Be like, oh no, we're not doing this because I flew out here and drove out here and decided to do this and I'm doing it. Now I have an idea that that might be a thing that's on the table. I mean, we could do regular top rope. We might be doing leading. I don't know. Uh, it makes it, it's a different experience. The other most terrifying experience was uh, when I was in college and I studied film in college and we went to the Cannes Film Festival. Not through my college. I was accepted into a program that had that sent film students to the Cannes Film Festival. And uh, my favorite filmmaker of all time was there, Hal Hartley, which is someone you probably have never heard of. He's a very independent film director. And I had to, and I say had to because it was, they talk about the stakes are always death and, and the death stakes could be psychological stakes. So you could suffer psychological death if you don't do something like solve a crime or potentially meet your favorite filmmaker when you're thousands of miles away from home and this an opportunity has present, presented itself. So yeah, I had to sneak into a party that I wasn't invited to at the Con Film Festival and introduce myself to my favorite filmmaker. Meanwhile, being a violent introvert, and this is 25 years ago, and I was far, far more introverted then. Like I've done a lot of work to be able to speak in public as often as I do, because I forced myself to, because it was terrifying. Um, and the idea of going someplace I wasn't invited and like trying to sneak into this party, <laughs> basically blustering my way through which is not a thing that I was able to do when I was 20 years old. <sighs> That's probably still the most terrifying thing I've ever done. And he was very nice. He was very lovely. He was very kind. And I told him how, how wonderful I thought his films were. And he introduced me to his wife and uh, at the time. And then <laughs> the second most terrifying thing is climbing 200 feet in the air. So 
going to Denver or going to a couple of other places this summer and early fall. And um, we're going to do our anniversary trip. <sighs> I think we're going to Vermont. I might possibly have to do another research trip for a book. <sighs> so check my calendar if you are interested in seeing me online or in person at any of these places that are official. I read something like, oh, as an author, if you're going someplace, tell your fans where you're going, you can meet them for coffee. So that's a thing that could happen if anyone is in Charleston or Denver and would like to meet for coffee, just email me. It's hello at elpenelope.com. And this is, of course, if you're listening to this in real time. And check out my calendar of events, the ever-growing calendar of events at elpenelope.com slash calendar. And that's it for me for this week. Um, This week, my goals, get this plot done, get it as close to done as possible. It'd be great if I could send the updated version by Friday. That's aggressive. Maybe Monday. Maybe I'll do um, the 26th of July. I'm looking at the calendar across the wall. Um, reread Savage City and just make my final notes and send that. I really do want to send that off by this week. I mean, it's due Monday, the 26th, but I want to get it done early. And I think those are enough goals. I'll get through a little bit more of my to-do list that I've still, I've been better than last week, but it's still, it still needs attention. And I hope that you have a wonderful week and I will talk to you next week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts.